opening. All right. Then we'll have our opening sermonette by Mr. Matthew Steele entitled Things I Have Learned from Unleavened Bread. Mr. Steele. Thanks, Reg. Hello. Ooh, that sounded like a tired hello. Everybody tired of eating unleavened bread? No. Who wants another week of unleavened bread? It was about eight. About eight of you. Okay. Well, you guys go ahead. <laughs> you know, we all have funny stories, don't we, of unleavened bread? Some we're willing to share. Some we're not. Uh, and then we probably also have some profound stories about, you know, what, what we learn doing this really strange thing of eating unleavened bread for seven days. You know, it never fails when you come across somebody new and, uh, that, or maybe even somebody you've known for a while and you get to telling them about what you're doing. And they're like, looking at you, a little strange. Why would you do that? And, of course, we get a lot of deep meaning out of these days. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But I'm curious, does anybody have a fun story to share? How they messed up this week? Kim? Kim. Everybody's pointing at Kim. I don't know. There's no leavening in fruit. Yeah, yeah. H- after how many did you eat? <laughs> okay, all right. Yes, dark chocolate is safe. Well, that's awesome. Anybody else have a little story? Carolyn? Leavening, leavening and french fries. So before the leavening, they were this skinny, and then now they're this skinny. That's crazy. I've never heard of leavening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should have known. They tasted too good to, to not come with a price, right? Keith? Unleavened bread. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Brenda? <laughs> Is it somebody sitting on the row with you? <laughs>
<laughs> yes, has no greater love than anyone than this to give others your sin, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm noticing a theme here. We, oh, got one more, one more customer. ask you whether or not you realized before or after you ate them, right? So. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? We all have these experiences. I think I've shared in the past where I was on the phone with Mike Andrews, and the entire conversation, he kept asking me, why, why was I eating a bagel? And of course, it was in the days of unleavened bread. He didn't say, Matt, don't eat the bagel. He just said, are you really eating a bagel? Yes, I'm eating a bagel. What's the big deal? Finished the bagel, and then I'm like, oh no, I ate a bagel. <sighs> so many lessons. So many lessons. So this year, uh, we did find some uh, yeast packets that had climbed up to the very top shelf and hidden themselves behind some spices that we never get into. I don't know how yeast packets do that, but we found that and a um, pancake mix that was in the back of the pantry. And this year, I completely forgot to vacuum my truck. But it does say unleavened bread. It, I've looked everywhere in the scriptures and it doesn't say unleavened trucks, or cars, or any of that. Which of course, it wouldn't. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 12. And verse 12, just a little recap of really the first entry in the scriptures about keeping this period of unleavened bread. And, and of course, Israel escaping Egypt. They left in a hurry. They didn't even have a time to let that bread rise, that sourdough bread, right? But this is the story that we have. And it says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt. This is God speaking on that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now, firstly, who's glad that that's not the punishment for accidentally getting leavening in your home and eating it, right? Just notice the context here. It's about redemption. It's about saving us. And we have fun with unleavened bread. We, we practice it. We get lessons. But we need to remember it's not a judgment, is it? It's not a condemnation. It's a reminder of our salvation. <clears throat> Verse 13. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, so this day shall be to you a memorial. And you shall keep 
You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout all your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. See, Keith? Unleavened bread, not unleavened brownies. Unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. And again, it's kind of interesting. It says, remove it from your house. Why? So you don't accidentally eat it, right? So it doesn't accidentally arrive at your doorstep from your employer who's tempting you to sin. Not that your employer doesn't do that every day, right, by driving you crazy. But it's about removing it so you're not tempted. The, the real challenge, the real point of it is not eating that leavening. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner, no manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that they only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this same day, I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at even. <clears throat> For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats of this, what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwellings, you shall eat unleavened bread. And again, it's about what we're consuming, isn't it? Not about what's accidentally in the back of the pantry or what climbed up to the highest shelf in the spice rack. It's about consuming leaven or not consuming leaven. And it's actually even more than that, isn't it? It's about consuming unleavened. Now, I'm being a little facetious, of course, talking about it's not the days of unleavened trucks or cars or even dog food or, I mean, I'm not making judgments. Some people are really concerned about that, and that's okay, and that's their individual conviction on that. But unleavened bread is kind of funny. In some ways, God is kind of playing with us. He's being playful in a sense certainly as we understand it in the Christian sense. He's giving this exercise in futility. He's, he's having us remove the symbol for our sin from our life, from our houses, from where we dwell, right? This dwelling place. And notice it's, it's all about taking it out of your home, out of your dwelling, out of your tent, out of where you live, out of this sanctuary. And yet we can't do this. And he's, he's given us this exercise, as Keith mentioned earlier, so that maybe we can learn about how we are really made righteous. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he's uh, chiding them for their tolerance of hurtful, of damaging, of sinful behavior. 
He says this, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And we often turn to this scripture as proof, as evidence that the early church kept the days of unleavened bread, which, of course, they did. But go ahead. Try and remove all the leavening yourself. Take out every piece of sin, every wrong thought, every angry thought, every self-centered action, every speck of sin. Try and remove that from your life, from your mind. You know, we had a hard enough time, you know, remembering and keeping focused on this is the days of unleavened bread and not to eat anything leavened and to eat unleavened, right? But during these seven days, how did we do with the leavening of the soul, with that spiritual leavening? Did we get a little mad at that driver that cut us off? Did we get a little frustrated at, at somebody that brought Twix bars over to your house? Did we have those spiritual challenges and remember, hey, this is supposed to be the life of unleavened bread? Which is, of course, what we're trying to live. <clears throat> Did you say an unkind word? Did you think <clears throat> an unkind word? Did you get angry without a cause? Did we keep sin in our hearts and in our minds while we were keeping the days of unleavened bread? I don't say this to condemn us. I just say it to magnify the difficulty, isn't it, of us thinking that we can remove sin from our lives. God has given us this exercise to do every year, and in doing it, we finally start to realize we cannot do this for ourselves. Remember what Paul just said. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Why was he sacrificed for us? Why did he shed his blood for us if we can take the leavening out of our life. Why did we need that? Because we can't take the leavening. We can't remove that sin for ourselves. But he covered us in his own blood, washing us clean. You know, it's really interesting. I um, I have a little medical condition, and it's, uh, uh, what is it called? Polycythemia. And my body basically makes too many red blood cells. And this risks for, you know, clotting. It makes your blood thicker. So the treatment for this is good old-fashioned bloodletting. I just take like 650 milliliters of blood out of my arm once a month. And I go on my way, a little kind of, 
a little weak, a little tired. I, I had this, uh, this last week. And I was. I was kind of t- exhausted for the rest, of the rest of the day. But, you know, we live in a world now where we understand things about the blood, like that you can have too many red blood cells and that it can be a danger. But it got me thinking about blood in general, about the imagery that we get from the scriptures, about Jesus' blood, about it cleansing us, right? They had no idea what was in the blood back then. In Jesus' day, or all the way back to Exodus, blood is just this red stuff, and when it's coming out of you, it's bad. And that's, that's about all they knew, right? And even, what, a hundred years ago, our knowledge of what was really in the blood was very limited. Certainly 150 years ago, when bloodletting was a thing for every possible disease, and oftentimes was the wrong treatment. But what do we know about the blood? Well, we have this concept, right? The blood of Christ. And what does it do? It washes our sin away. It cleanses us. And we know that blood cleanses. We know something they didn't know. There's these blood cells, not the red ones, but the white ones. And what do the white ones do? Those white blood cells are part of our immune system, aren't they? And they roam around the body looking for what? The biological equivalent of sin. Viruses, bacteria, uh, cancer cells, cells of our own body that have gone haywire. And what do they do? They surround that sin. They surround that biological detriment, that risk to our body. and kill it, and carry off its carcass, and keep us safe, and cleanse us from that image, that symbolism of sin in the blood. So as we learn more about biology, we learn more about the depth of meaning that it has for Christ, our Passover, his blood sacrificed and shed for us, covering us, cleansing us, taking away all that is damaging, everything that could corrupt us, everything that makes us sin, every hurtful thought and feeling, every, everything that we've experienced that is negative and destructive to the spiritual, eternal built being that we are intended to be. And we are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Again, reinforcing that we can't do any of this ourselves. It is only by the blood of Christ. So then Paul says, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerely walking in this way, truthfully accepting, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and recognizing it is only him and only his life in us that can remove the leavening and remove the sin. He can get up to that third, fourth level shelf in our hearts and find that secret sin, find that yeast that is growing and festering and damaging our hearts 
and our minds. He can take that away. He can bring healing and truth. <clears throat> I think it was David Andrews <clears throat> last weekend was talking. Maybe he was telling Renee, the, the only way to evacuate something out of, a, out of a space, the only way to fully remove something, to cleanse something, such as leavening, is by replacing it with something else. Think about that. If you fill your house up with water and wash everything out, there's probably no more leavening in there, right? I mean, your big screen TV is gone too, and the couch, and everything else. But you've cleansed it. It's emptied out. That is what the life and the blood of Christ does in us. Every minute of every day, we need to invite him in. Invite that Christ life in. Be part of my life this moment, this moment now, my next moment, my next challenge, the next thing in my life. Live and dwell in me, flushing out the old leaven and making us unleavened, helping us to live in that newness of life. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, <clears throat> the writer says this, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, that truth, that sincerity and truth, a true heart knowing that we can't get out the leaven, but that he can, and that he's drawing us close to him so that we can be ever more deleavened. Let us draw, with, draw near with a true heart <clears throat> in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. Notice this says to stir up love, not to stir up each other. Stir up love and good works. And just as we're doing today, not forsaking <clears throat> the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. What are we exhorting? What are we exhorting one another with? Well, I'm doing it a little bit now. <clears throat> Reminding us and encouraging us to build that relationship Christ, to let that blood of the Lamb wash us clean, and to draw near with a true heart. We can do this for each other all the time. <clears throat> what have we learned from keeping the days of unleavened bread? Well, <clears throat> we've learned that without Christ, we are nothing. I'm nothing, and you are nothing without Christ. Without his life in us, we are sick and hurting and dying because we have these viruses, we have these bacteria, we have these cancers in our life called sin. And without him, we are sick. But we can thank God that through the unleavened bread of Jesus' body and the cleansing power 
of His blood. Remember that He said, drink this blood of mine. We are made unleavened. We are made righteous. That's the truth. We are made righteous in Christ Jesus. Holy. And we are and will be made alive.